You know, I get sermon ideas from all sorts of places. From just some days it will be like, Monday it will be like, oh, and then maybe reading an article, maybe a current need in the congregation, perhaps a question. A lot of times I will seek to answer a question, and this morning is one of those sermons. I received a text about a week ago, a little over a week ago, from one of you, and this is what the text said. Good morning, Doug. I have a question. Preacher always loves texts that start that way. I have always been aware of unleavened bread being a focus, but never known why. Reading in Exodus this morning, I discovered the correlation of Israel leaving Egypt in haste. Is there more to the unleavened story? Now, most of us, I'm sure, can identify with that. We're all aware of the New Testament passages as we gather about the table in particular. We are mindful of the New Testament passages covering leaven, uh, the unleavened bread, the unleavened or unfermented fruit of the vine of communion, of course. But what about the beginning of the story? What about the origins from whence our New Testament knowledge and instructions come? What was the purpose, what was the symbolism of such? And as I began to consider all of those sorts of things, as I considered, in fact, that there is more to the unleavened story, I also realized that I had never preached on leaven. In fact, I don't think I ever heard a sermon on leaven, specifically, or unleavened. And so I thought, well, rather than just answer the text, because you all know how I am, I don't do that real well, I thought, well, we'll just do it with a sermon. And so this morning, I decided to turn it into one. With that in mind, please open your Bibles up to the first text, the first of 24 occurrences of the word leaven in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, we see the institution of Passover and the institution of how they were to celebrate Passover from then, from then on, culminating in verse 11, which reads, verse 11, And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, we're all familiar with the Passover, the slaughtering of the lamb and the, the spreading of the blood over the doorpost. We're familiar with that story quite probably. But if we're not, we can certainly read on from here and we will see more of an explanation of that. God says in verse 12 of Exodus 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike 
the land of Egypt. Now we can already see in our minds, we can already see what this is foreshadowing. God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and this death will not affect you. And, and we have this beautiful picture beginning to form right here as early as Exodus 12 on, on what we celebrate on the Lord's Supper, that, that when we are covered with the blood of Christ, God will pass over us in judgment and, and giving us eternal death. That won't happen because he will see the blood. And, and so this picture begins to form. He continues on in verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Now again, talking to the Jews, those Jews who were in Egyptian slavery. He says, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now listen to the specifics of this feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, that is of that seven, you shall remove leaven from your houses. God said, I don't want any leaven in your house anywhere. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. I want you to notice, we'll get into the reasons why, but I want you to notice the seriousness of this. God says, get all that leaven out of your house, seven-day feast, get it out. I don't want it there. I don't, I don't even want a hint of it. And if anybody eats leaven during this time period, they are to be cut off from Israel. They are to lose their standing as God's people. God is extremely serious about this. We move on. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. They're not to have work on these particular days, but, but the preparation of this meal. And he goes on to say in verse 17, so you shall observe the feast of, again, unleavened bread. For on this same day I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, or that is the reason, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. Don't miss this. He says, I'm taking you out of slavery. I'm releasing you from slavery. And, and this day, eating the unleavened bread, having no leaven in your house, this, this particular feast that you're about to keep, he said, has got to do with, I want you remembering, that's when I released you or brought you out. This is how you are to commemorate your release from slavery. He goes through it again with a few more details. Verse 18. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven full days, no leaven. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses. Since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a stranger or a native of the land. God, God is deadly serious about this. And we'll get to the whys, but, but I want you to see how serious he is. He has said this twice now. They're to be cut off. If you find them eating leaven, cut them off. They, they, I, they don't have any part with you. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. God, if, if we had like a highlighting and emboldening in our Bibles, this would probably be one of those. God has said, don't do this. In verses 21 through 32 of this same chapter, we see the people of God obeyed his instructions. We see that God indeed did what he said and struck all of the Egyptians firstborn dead. 
and that Pharaoh then finally agreed to let God's people go as a result. That is verses 21 through 32. Now, when Pharaoh let them go, when God affected their escape from slavery, the next thing I want you to notice, and we'll put all this together eventually, the next thing I want you to notice is that these people wasted no time. They had been slaves for 400 years. Well, they weren't like 400 years old, but you know, they're generations, okay? And so they didn't waste a lot of, they didn't sit there and say, well, you know, kind of don't make, mind making bricks without straw and you know, not all that bad living here in slavery and after all, you know, this is kind of where my family's roots have been for the last four. They didn't do any of that. They were in a hurry. They made haste to get out of slavery as soon as they possibly could. Look at verses 33 and 4 of chapter 12. Verses 33 and 4. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. This is the Egyptians, because the firstborn had been killed. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. They couldn't get the leaven from yesterday into the kneading bowls because they were already packed and ready to go. They were ready to leave slavery. They could not get out of slavery fast enough. They were in such a hurry that they didn't even take time to place a pinch of the previous day's kneaded leavened dough into the new day's batch. That, that's how they did it. As I read and studied for this, what they do is they take a little dough from the day before that had leaven in it, and they, they'd put it in their kneading bowls to mix in with that day's dough, and, and the leaven would move through that, and they just kept moving it forward. Well, they didn't do that. They were, they were ready to leave. Verses 37 through 39 say this, Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses, to Succoth about 600,000 men on foot. This was no small undertaking. Besides children, a mixed multitude went up with them also in flocks and herds a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait. They could not wait. This is so critical. This is going to come back at the end of our, our, our lesson this morning. They could not wait. I've got, that, I've got a lot in my Bible highlighted, but on this page, that's the only three words I got highlighted. They could not wait to get out of there. They could not wait and make provision. They could not wait and make preparation. They wanted out of slavery so bad. Keep that in mind. We move on to chapter 13. We look again the same topic in verses three through seven. We're building our case here. And Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Do you think they knew what service he meant? Sure they did. He told them over and over. Guess what? Gonna tell them again. 
seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast of the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. I don't want it in the couch. I don't want it behind the TV. I don't want it in the bedroom. I don't want it anywhere in your house. Get rid of it. By the way, quick side note. I've told you this before, but seeing as how we're here, I'm going to tell you again. Exodus 12 and 13 is the reason that we know that Jesus did not drink alcoholic wine at the Passover. The Jews used leaven to leaven wine, to ferment it, to speed up the, ferment, the fermentation process. Okay? If Jesus drank alcoholic wine, and we have some religious friends and neighbors who tell us, I can drink wine because Jesus drank wine at the Passover. Jesus drank unfermented, untainted, unleavened fruit of the vine, just like we, we drink when we do the Lord's Supper. Because if it had the, the, the tiniest smidgen in it of leaven, then Jesus sinned. Did Jesus sin? So there was no leaven in that fruit of the vine. Just good old fruit of the vine. Keep that in mind, that's just a sidebar. Moving on. God hates leaven. If we were to turn, we're not going to, but for those of you taking notes, if we were to turn to Leviticus chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, we would see there that when the priests obediently offered up their grain offering to the Lord by fire, God said, this will be a sweet-smelling or... Oh, smell, you ever just have one of those, just maybe flowers or something you just love and you get, oh, it just smells so good, right? Well, this grain offering was to be just a sweet-smelling aroma to God, unless, guess what, according to Leviticus 2, 9 through 11, unless it had leaven in it and then it stunk. God says, I don't want it. Don't put leaven in it. Then it would be a foul and rejected stench. You ever driving down the road with your windows down one day and you come across someplace, you go, oh, oh. Right? Well, with leaven in the offering, that's the way God saw their offering. It stunk. Now, having said all of that and kind of given you this picture, as we, as we seek to put all of this together and, and later bring it up into the New Testament, the first thing that we've got to do is to understand what leaven is. If we're going to understand why God has this abhorrence for it, if we're going to understand the absolute abhorrence of God for all of these things leavened, then first thing we got to do is understand what leaven is and what leaven does. This is critical. What is it and what does it do? I mean, God doesn't just arbitrarily say, you know, well, I hate this because I threw darts at the wall and decided this was the one that the dart hit, so this is the one I'm going to... No, God's got his reasons. So what exactly is leaven? What does it do? Well, the American Heritage Dictionary defines leaven as follows. An element, influence, or agent that works subtly to modify the whole. An element, influence, or agent that works subtly to modify a whole to change the entirety of something. It works subtly behind the scenes to, to change whatever the whole of it is that you're considering, like leaven works through the dough. As I think of that, maybe a good illustration is 
You remember how when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem on Sunday, they put down palm branches and everybody was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and you remember, as that week progressed, how the religious leaders didn't want to take Jesus during the feast because they said the people basically love him. You remember that? But then Friday morning, they all turn on Jesus, the crowds. Why? Because the scribes and the Pharisees were there in the crowd and they started shouting out and they worked their way through the crowd and, and, and changed the crowd's opinion to the point that the crowd said, you know, let his blood be on us and our children. And so they kind of worked through the whole and they, they changed the whole of, of the people's attitude toward Jesus to something criminal, something awful, something horrible. That's, that's kind of a way to think of the American Heritage Dictionary definition of leaven, an influence or agent that works subtly to modify the whole. David Roper, in defining leaven, said this, leaven is a substance added to dough to produce fermentation, which causes the bread to rise. Now, when we think about fermentation, we don't often think maybe about leaven, but leaven causes fermentation. Hold that thought. Plutarch said, leaven comes from corruption and corrupts the dough with which it is mixed. Leaven comes from corruption and corrupts the dough with which it is mixed and every fermentation seems to be a putrefaction. Now, if you are unfamiliar with putrefaction, let me give you a definition for both of those words. Again, leaven comes from corruption and corrupts the dough with which it is mixed, and every fermentation seems to be a putrefaction. Fermentation means the breakdown of a compound to an organic acid. And putrefaction means the decomposition of organic matter by bacteria resulting in the formation of foul-smelling products. What putrefaction is, is the breakdown of, of that which is biological, the decomposition of organic matter. It's a rotting, basically, okay? That's what it is. Years ago, Karen and I were out riding on her, on her four-wheeler and was going up through this four-wheeler trail and come to this point that we stopped for something, and one of the most terrible stenches I have ever smelled in my entire life, I mean, it was enough to knock you off the four-wheeler. It was horrible. Stink. And we're up in the woods, I'm thinking, what on earth is that? We look over, well, it wasn't probably any further from me to that door, and apparently, sitting there for months, there's this moose carcass that has been, animals have ravaged it, the flies, I mean, and it's set there, and I know, I know it's not like Oklahoma heat and the Maine heat, I, I understand it, but you let something set out in the woods dead and rot for three months, and it's gonna stink even in Maine, okay? It was awful. That's what putrefaction is, it makes it stink. It is a rotting decomposition. So when Plutarch says that leaven comes from corruption, and every fermentation seems to be a putrefaction, what he's saying is every breakdown of the organic to that which is acidic basically results in a rotting. 
That's what leaven does, corrupts the pure. The New Unger's Bible Dictionary says of leaven, it causes disintegration and corruption, symbolizing evil and the energy of sin. Here we go, we're getting the picture. The, dis the disintegration and corruption that leaven causes symbolizes the evil and energy of sin. To the Hebrew mind, whatever was in a decayed state suggested the idea of uncleanness and corruption. So as we put all this together, what we come to understand, and, and this again is critical to understand what leaven is. Leaven is a substance that subtly, kind of sneakily, kind of carefully, not really sure how it does it, works through and mingles with whatever is pure, whatever untainted substance it comes in contact with. If we take just pure fruit of the vine in our little cups, just pure fruit of the vine, that's all there is in it, right, right, out, of the, right out of the fruit. That's pure the way God made it, right? But when we add leaven, it ferments it, it changes it to acidic, it corrupts that which is pure. Leaven ferments and turns those things which are pure, either sour, acidic, or alcoholic, whether the pure dough of the bread or the fresh, pure, non-alcoholic fruit of the vine. And what that does, when you corrupt that which is pure, when your sacrifice was pure, and this feast of celebration that the Israelites celebrated, it, it was just pure dough and it was just pure fruit of the vine. When you put in something that corrupts it, something that sours it, makes it stink to God because it's not pure any longer and God is pure. And, and so this gives you an idea of, of why God has such an abhorrence for leaven. If you want a real short definition of leaven, here it is, four words, a corruption of purity. That's what it is. A corruption of purity. And, and we would see this confirmed as we read on in the Old Testament and we look at how God says, give me this sacrifice, but don't you dare do it with leaven. Notice a couple of these with me. The first one we'll just footnote. Exodus 34 and verse 25 says, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Turn to me to Leviticus 6. Leviticus chapter 6. Regarding the grain offering, notice this in verses 14 through 17. Notice what God says. God says in Leviticus 6, 14, this is the law. It's not a suggestion. This is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and all the frankincense which is on the grain of offering, and shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. Did you see sweet aroma? See, it just oh, it smells good to God when it's, when it's pure, and it's, and it's pure because you're doing exactly as God commanded, and you're not corrupting it, you're doing it exactly as God said, and so there's this, oh boy, that smells good. And the remainder of it, Aaron and his son shall eat, with unleavened bread it shall be eaten in a holy place. Notice the connection of unleavened and holy. Unleavened means pure. The pure and the holy go together. So they'll eat this pure bread, it's unleavened, don't put any leaven in it, in a holy place. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy. If it's most holy, then it's pure. If it's pure, 
It is not corrupted. If it is not corrupted, it doesn't have leaven in it. Because leaven corrupts and makes the pure impure. And we see God's distaste for this again and again. Turn to me to Leviticus 10. I don't know what your least favorite meal is in the world. Probably one of mine would be, do you all have tripe down here? You know what tripe is? Raise your hand if you know what tripe is. One or two, okay. Tripe is the lining of a cow's stomach and it's kind of this white, looks like a white waffle. <laughs> right, is that pretty close? And, and, and you get it pickled. And my dad used to eat that stuff. Mom would like deep fry it, tripe. And you, once it's been in like vinegar or whatever, you want to talk about souring up the whole house. It stunk. Maybe you're like me and you don't like liver. I don't like liver. Well, I'll tell Karen if she's going to fry liver and onions, that's fine. I'll call, you know, 1-800-MARIOS or whatever the case may be. And, but, but certain things have this, this terrible smell. It's like, ah. And God didn't want his sacrifices to be tainted with that which he did not want. We, we notice this again here in Leviticus 10 and verse 12. Remember Leviticus 10, what had happened? You remember Nadab and Abihu had offered unauthorized fire and fire come out from the Lord and consumed them in verses one through three. God is not to be trifled with. And it says here in verse 12 of Leviticus 10, after they get burnt alive, Moses spoke to Aaron, yeah, Aaron, no. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his two sons who were left. See. Eleazar and Ithamar were brothers of Nadab and Abihu. See, Aaron had four sons, but after they tampered with the commandment of God and offered fire that he had not authorized, now he's down to two sons. And so Moses said to Aaron and to the two who were left, take the grain offering that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord and eat it without leaven beside the altar for it is most holy. And just once again, we see this connection eat it without leaven because it is most holy. If you put leaven in it, if you put in it that which corrupts, it takes away the holiness of the sacrifice. And we would even note, I'll just give you this real quick. We're not going to turn there because something else I want to get to, but in Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Amos is, by divine inspiration of God, he's telling the people, look, you're making a mockery of God's sacrifices. God's not going to accept your sacrifices because you're giving them in the wrong place, you're giving them at the wrong time, you're doing all, and you're so proud of the fact that you ain't doing it right. That's Amos chapter 4, 1 through 6. But one of the things there was, and you put leaven in your sacrifices. And all that does is offend God. So, all of these Old Testament instructions involving God's insistence on the absolute purity and uncorrupted nature of the elements involved in the Passover, involved in this memorial of his divine deliverance of his people from slavery, can all be seen as foreshadowing, as reflected in, and as fulfilled in the sacrifice of our Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was given that through his blood, God might pass over us on judgment day. And this holy feast that is connected to it. Remember, we celebrate our Passover lamb having died for us each first day of the week in accordance with Acts 20 and verse 7. Now, 
Those of us who are in Christ, who are covered with the blood, does the Bible say we've passed from death into life? Mm -hmm. And this is because, the reason we have passed from death into life is because we're under the blood of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus, our Passover lamb, is 100%, 10,000%, pure, undefiled, untainted, uncorrupted, flawless, perfect. The blood of Christ is perfect. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21 of Jesus that he knew no sin. There was no tainting, there was no corruption, there was nothing, no sin in Jesus. P, uh, the writer of Hebrews would tell us in Hebrews 4.15 that he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. The Apostle Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1.18 and 19, he says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the sinless, your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious, precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter would go on to tell us in 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23 that Jesus committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. He didn't return evil for evil. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Jesus was pure. And this is why, this is why we come on Sundays. This is why. This is why we take communion at home. This is why we gather, whether here or virtually. This is why. This, because we so much love and appreciate what Jesus did for us, right? Listen, if you're in church, if, if you're assembled, or if you're listening to this for any other reason than appreciation for what God did for you, you're probably, with all due respect, not doing this for the right reason. I love y'all. Well, I'm not here for you this morning. I'm here for Jesus. I'm glad you're all here. I'm glad you're all watching. I love each one of you, but I'm here for Jesus. Aren't you? I'm here because his sacrifice was pure. It was untainted. It was perfect. It was, and I'm not. I'm flawed. I, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We understand that. We understand that none of us in and of ourselves could be flawless enough and perfect enough to stand, stand in God. We've all got leaven in our lives, but, but Jesus' sacrifice is, is perfect and pure and flawless and unleavened. And so we come together to, to celebrate communion. But here's the thing. When we do decide to join that number who have been set free from slavery to sin, very much mirroring what they went through in, in coming out of slavery to Egypt, when we decide to join that number who have been set free from slavery to sin at the point that we are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we too need to be ready to leave all of the sin of the world and the corruption and the leaven behind us. 
We need to be, make haste to get away from it. Isn't that right? Rise to walk in newness of life. We need to make haste. We need to be ready to run from sin, to leave it all behind in the waters of, of Christian baptism. Now, now, that doesn't mean we're not going to fail here and there, but we are to hate sin. We are to get so far away. We're not to make any provision any more than they did. We are to get out away from that sin which has ensnared and enslaved us for so long. That's what the sacrifice is about. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at, look at how this is emphasized in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 20, he says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off, verse 22 of Ephesians 4, that you put off, Concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows. What? Corrupt. Remember, leaven corrupts. God said, don't want any leaven in your sacrifice. Get the leaven out of there before you sacrifice the feast, what he told his Old Testament people. And leaven corrupts. And so here we're told that when we become Christians, when we rise up and we're covered by the blood of Christ, we rise up out of the baptistry and our sins are gone away, the old man, we must put him to death, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Are deceitful lusts impure? Can they stain us? Corrupt us, pollute us. Yes, and he says, so, so get rid of all of that, leaven, if you will, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And, and here you see it again, the contrast. Put away that which is corrupt so that you will be holy. Do you see it? See the contrast? Corruption's got to go in order for you to have holiness. Just like, don't eat leaven in my holy place. Same thing in the Old Testament. He goes on, he says, therefore, in Ephesians 4.25, he says, I'm going to tell you how to get rid of all of this corrupt stuff, all of this leaven? Yes. Putting away lying, verse 25, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Brethren, Speak anything less than truth to one another is leaven. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. You get mad at a brother or sister, God says, okay, be angry. He knows that at times we're going to. He says, be angry. And yet what? Do not sin. You can be angry if you need to be angry. You know, it's one of the things with our kids. We always said if they're going to throw a fit, we'd rather have them throw it at the house. Everybody who has a, needs a place to let their hair down, right? We'd rather have our kids angry at the house than out in public, you know, if they're going to throw a fit, right? Do our kids occasionally throw fits once in a while, right? Well, guess what? God knew his kids were going to too. And he says, be angry, but don't sin. You can, you can be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Brethren, if you're upset with a brother or sister, you need to go get it resolved. The idea here of not letting the sun go down on it is go take care of it, get it taken care of, get it out of the way, get that corruption of your relationship gone, get it out of the way. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole, verse 28, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Here comes our word again. Here comes our leaven. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. He's not talking about, he's not talking about being at work and, and hitting your thumb with a hammer and saying something you shouldn't say, although that's covered too, but he's talking about something bigger than that. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers, just the context tells us. Don't, don't, don't hate orally on your brethren. 
Don't hate orally on your brethren. Don't let any corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. I got no right to run around and badmouth my brethren over anything. I have, that's leaven. My worship is not going to be acceptable to God if I'm doing that. What should I do? I should say those things which are good for what? Necessary edification. Do we all need to be edified? Do we all need some encouragement and edification the way the world be? Sure we do. And notice he says necessary. I can say that word. Necessary edification. It's necessary. All of us want to be, we need to be encouraged. We get beat up enough during the week. The last thing we need is a brother or sister in the body of Christ beating us up verbally. He says, don't do that. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get rid of the leaven. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ loved us and has given himself for us. Watch this, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. What did it take in the Old Testament for the sacrifice to smell? Oh, that's good to God. No leaven. What does it take for us who are in Christ? His sacrifice was pure. And so it just, oh, it just smelled so good to God. Well, we are to do the same thing and love one another and forgive one another as God has done us in order that we too might be a sweet smelling aroma to God. Otherwise, our sacrifice can leave a foul stench in, in God's nostrils. I could go on, Colossians 3, 1 through 17 says the same thing, but I, I won't go there. <clears throat> Listen, the Lord used this analogy of leaven in his own ministry. In Matthew 16, 6 through 12, in Luke 12, verse 1, he said, hypocrisy is leaven. Beware the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. His disciples didn't know exactly what he's talking about, but he later went on to talk, say, I was talking about the doctrine. The teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, is, they're hypocritical. He said in Matthew 23, they tell you what to do and then they don't do it. That's hypocrisy. Guess what? Hypocrisy is leaven. If we got one measure and stick for this brother and sister and one measure and stick for this brother and sister, if we got one measure and stick for ourselves and one for them, if, if there's this hypocrisy, if we tell one one thing and we go a different way and tell, that's hypocrisy. And he said, that's leaven. Again, Matthew chapter 16, 6 through 12. In Galatians 5, 1 through 10, Paul does this beautiful job of, of reminding us of some of these things. He mentions the fact that those who have slept, set, been set free from slavery should not want to return again to a yoke of bondage. That's Galatians 5, 1 through 10. He said, why do you want to go back to slavery? Well, why would you do that? Why would you want to go back to a hopeless a hopeless law that you can't keep anyway. Why would you want to give up Christ and be yoked again with this yoke of slavery? Why would you want to do that? And right in the middle of that passage in Galatians 5, 1 through 10, listen to what he says in verses 7 through 9. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. Boom. Several years, well, more than several, you know how we lose track of time. A number of years ago, I read somewhere or heard a preacher somewhere along the line say this. <clears throat> Did you know 
that decon rat killer is 2% poison. Read the label. 98% of the products in decon you could eat and it wouldn't hurt you. 98% you could eat and you'd go, wow, well, you may go, but it wouldn't hurt you. It's only man, that 2% get you every time. And the reason that I bring that up is exactly what Paul said in Galatians 5, 7 through 9, we said a little leaven, leaven's a whole lump. It only takes just a little bit. It only takes just a, a little bit of, of this corrupting, subtle influence in your life and in your heart. It only takes a little bit of that to begin to work its way through your attitude and everything you say and everything you do and, and, and just and, and start spilling out all over the place. And as we bring this down to what we are about to do here shortly, I want to make this point. There is no place on earth or in the known universe or the unknown universe where it is more important, <clears throat> excuse me, where it is more important to make absolutely sure that there is no leaven present, spiritually speaking, than in our celebration of being set free from sin, slavery to sin, as we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Passover lamb. There's no place that this whole idea of getting, man, it was important at first in, in the Old Testament. You saw how many times, and that's why I read it, God said, don't you do this. I don't want it in your house. I don't want you to eat it. I don't want it anywhere around you. <clears throat> and that was just for them. Well, if it was that important for them to have no leaven, physically speaking, how much more important is it for us who have a better sacrifice, a better Passover, a better memorial feast, how much more important is it for us that we have no leaven? Think about this. It is in reference to that we see the Apostle Paul use that same sentence that he used in Galatians 5, 7 through 9, when he said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He used that same exact sentence in talking about this exact thing, our Passover feast or, or communion. Turn to me to 1 Corinthians 5. So grateful to be a Christian. So grateful for a flawless sacrifice. But my responsibility in that flawless sacrifice, yes, it was given for me, yes, I'm covered by the blood, but my responsibility in that flawless sacrifice is to gather for the feast and make sure there's no leaven in my house. No leaven in my house. <clears throat> Just like God rescued them from Egyptian bondage, but they still had a chore to do, right? They had to get the leaven out of their own houses, right? They had part to play in this. We need to do the same thing. God has set us free from sin, and the blood has covered us, but we have a responsibility in our own temple of the Holy Spirit, as it were, in our own bodies, to make sure we remove leaven just like they had to. Turn again, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verses 6 through 8. The story here was that the church had sexual immorality amongst it. There was adultery going on. They were proud of it. This ongoing sin. Let me tell you what. Would ongoing sin like that putrefy your sacrifice? 
Ongoing sin like that would taint everything, corrupt it, spread, just like leaven. And so this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. He says, your glorying is not good. How come you're proud of sin? Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? There's his sentence. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, look, get the sin, the, the willful. I mean, we all make mistakes, and I understand that. It's not talking about that. This guy's sleeping with his, with his uh, stepmother. Okay? And, and everybody knows it, everybody's proud of it. It's, it's an ongoing willful sin. And so Paul says, your sacrifice to God and your worship's no good. It's tainted, it's polluted. You all know what's going on. You all know it's wrong. You all know it's sin and it's tainting it. And he says, so you've got to get rid of this leaven because it's going to spread through the whole church. Purge it out that you may be a new lump, since you truly are in leaven. He said, you've been washed, you've been cleansed in the blood of Christ, you've been passed over, you're pure. Don't mess that up. Don't mess that purity up with willful sin. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Notice he's not talking about literal bread here, although this has reference to communion. He says the unleavened bread is sincerity and truth, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Brethren, when we come together, together about this table, we've been made pure in the blood of Christ. We've been passed over. But it is our responsibility to examine our own house and make sure there's not this willful sin or anything wicked or malicious going on in here. This is why it is so critically important to make sure that each one of us examine our own heart and soul before partaking. Communion's not about examining the person next to you. Communion is about examining, that's what Paul writes, isn't it? Examine yourselves, okay? It's about looking in our own hearts and our own lives and make sure there is no leaven-like, dislike, malice, wickedness, hatred, immorality, or resentment of our brothers and sisters in our hearts and minds before we partake. Look in 1 Corinthians 11. Look where he says this. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11, Now, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. This is why it's so crucial. If we have a problem with a brother or sister, we just can't let go of it. And it's permeating us. We need to go to that brother or sister. Work it out before we take communion. Before it destroys our soul, before it grows like a, like, think of things that grow out of control that start with something very, very small. Um, Rick Stevo. Remember about the, the, the homeless man that burnt down all those acres and square miles, remember that? The whole forest by what, one little flame? 
Think, think about where one little flame can grow and consume everything. Leaven is like that. It permeates the whole thing. Like gangrene, once it starts, it, or cancer, it just keeps going, or wildfire, or any of those things. It, it just keeps going and growing. This is why we've got to put the fire out. We've got to get rid of that leaven before it consumes us to the point that we can no longer love and live and work and serve with a brother or sister that, that, that we've had a problem with. The pulpit commentary says, he who would feed on Christ must first put away from him all corruption and impurity. Get rid of all leaven out of the house where his spirit dwells. Make himself fit to sit down at the heavenly banquet by getting rid of all those evil things which come from within and defile a man, Mark 7 and verse 23. To me, in answering the question that was texted me, this seems to be exactly what God was foreshadowing for us in the Old Testament. It seems to me to be exactly what God was setting up as he talked about get the leaven out before the feast. I don't want it. He's looking forward to the feast as we gather about the table each first day of the week. And, and remember our Passover lamb who rescued us from slavery and whose blood we are under, that we need to get the leaven out of our houses too if there's any there. I think that is the rest of the unleavened story. And as Paul Harvey used to say, and now you know, <laughs> the rest of the story. And so as we always do, plus now focusing on the facts as presented this morning, let each one of us, myself included, both here and at home, truly examine our own hearts and our own minds and our own souls and our own words and our own actions as we partake of the Lord's Supper in communion with both the Lord Jesus Christ as well as one another. May there be no leaven found in our lives this morning to make the Lord God of heaven abhor the stench of our offering of praise and thanksgiving to him for the gift of his only begotten son for our sins. Tom, if you would go ahead and locate your communion supplies and, and peel back the uh, <clears throat> clear wrapper to reveal the unleavened bread. Let us pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, thankful for so many things, for so many blessings, but at this time as we pause and surround this table, we thank back to your son, to his sacrifice, to your sacrifice of your son on that cross. His body as it hung there, having already endured so much, mutilated, broken, or the flesh broken in, in so many, so many pieces. We're thankful that through that sacrifice, we have an opportunity this morning together 
and to memorialize and, and to commune with one another and to partake of an emblem that represents that, that body. But as we've learned this morning, it represents so much more the unleavening and the way that we need to evaluate our own self, examine our own self, and remove those things which are corrupt from our own life. Help us partake of this emblem in a manner pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name, amen. haven't already, please go ahead and peel back the foil to reveal the fruit of the vine. Let us continue in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we focus our thoughts and, and mind upon the fruit of the vine at this time, an emblem that represents the blood that was shed, the blood that flowed from all the wounds, from the head of your son, from his back and his wrist, his side and his feet, blood that was shed for the remission of our sins, from that pure and perfect sacrifice that he was. Help us as we partake of this emblem to think on those things. In Christ's name, amen. Two things as we conclude this morning's lesson. Number one, you recall that in the lesson I made a point very early on about how they couldn't wait to escape slavery, how they, they made haste, how they, they couldn't even take time for the dough. I mean, they, they were in such a hurry. When they realized there was an escape route from slavery, they could not wait to get out of slavery. And if you're here this morning, Like the Apostle Paul, like Saul of Tarsus, when he was asked, why do, you, why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, well, what are you waiting for? God wants to set you free. Amen, church? God wants to wash away your sins. He wants to set you free from the law of sin and death, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. So that, so that you can't be condemned. He wants to set you free. Why are you waiting? What are you tarrying for? What is it, what is it sin that you want to hang on to? God's made it clear that you need to, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the only way to have them forgiven. That's the only way to put that blood over you so that God doesn't hold your sins against you. What are you waiting for? If there's a sin in your life, or if you're listening to this for the first time, you've never heard a lesson like this on the live stream, what are you waiting for? The, the escape route is there. You may not have tomorrow. 
You can leave the leaven of this world, that corrupt man and, and the desire for sin and all those things behind and, and live a life that's not governed by that slavery anymore. Why are you waiting? Or maybe you're somebody here who's heard the lesson this morning and you've already been baptized into Christ. And you're saying to yourself, man, I, got, I, I'm, I, I really need strength to forgive like, like Jesus. I, I need strength to get rid of this leaven. I, I need to clean out my house and I don't know quite how to do it. And I need some help. I need some help putting that person's sin or that problem I have with that person beneath the same blood that's covered my sins. I need to get, I got most of it. I, I think I found it all, but I need to go through my house a real fine tooth comb and get rid of some of this. Guess what? We're here to pray for you. We're here to help. We're here to do anything that we can. Just because we want to all appear before God with no leaven, we, we want to do that. So this morning, if you would be baptized into Christ and escape slavery, get out of there as quick as you can and leave it all behind. Or you need the prayers of the church to help clean out your house and be stronger. Whatever it is, I'll stand right here and wait for you. Please come on down front right now as we stand and sing.